In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 17. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. For those of you who are parents and grandparents in the room, I don't know if, if this, you can relate to this or not, but, but as a parent, I've always wanted my kids to appreciate the movies that I think they should appreciate. So I've, I've shown lots of movies to my kids over the years, and some have been hits and some have been misses. You know, I think they should love it, and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. But one movie that I showed to my boys a couple of years ago that was definitely a hit and one of my favorites was The Shawshank Redemption. Many of you have seen this movie. And there's a very memorable scene right in the middle of the movie where Andy Dufresne, who is the main character in the movie, is talking to Red. Red's played by Morgan Freeman. And Andy has just spent some time in the hole in solitary confinement. And he says to Red, you know, there are some places internally that prison life can't touch. Red responds, what are you talking about? Hope, Andy replies. Red gets a somber look on his face and says, now listen here, friend. By the way, I can't do the Morgan Freeman voice justice as I read this part, okay? But Red says, look, listen here, friend. Let me tell you something about hope. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. You better get used to that idea. But then later on in, in the movie, one of the last lines in Andy's letter to Red is this. Remember, Red, hope is actually a good thing. Maybe the best of things. And no good thing ever dies. Today, as we begin talking about the promises of Advent, our word for today is that word, hope. And indeed, it is hard to stay hopeful 
about the world that we live in. It's hard to feel hopeful right now when we see so much evil, so much darkness around us. But we remember as we come into this season and we use words like hope, love, joy, and peace. And then on Christmas Eve when we come together, we center this whole season on the most important word, the word Christ the one whom we worship, who is at the center of all of this that we're talking about. We remember as we use these words that as, as God's people, as Christ's people, our faith is not based on what we can see, but our faith is based on what we believe to be true, that God always honors his promises. And the promises of Advent, hope, love, joy, peace, the promise of Christ, our promises that God is keeping even in our midst, even as it seems like the darkness around us is winning at times, it's not. Because God is keeping his promises to us. The fulfillment of what he has said is going to happen. It's already happening. And indeed, like you, I love coming into this season because we need these reminders, don't we? We need these reminders of God's promises and that we can rest with confidence and faith in his word because as we read just a moment ago his word endures forever and it surpasses the darkness that is around us and so we come to advent and as we typically do we begin our advent journey in luke chapter one now most of us have a nativity set somewhere in our home or somewhere in our lives and I love to mention at the beginning of Advent every year that our nativity sets always have some people who are always present, but they also have some people who are conspicuously absent. And as we begin our Advent journey this year, we're going to talk about the two couples who were pivotal in the first Advent story. All of our nativity sets have a Joseph and a Mary, but probably none of our, our, our nativity sets have a Zachariah and Elizabeth. But this couple played a very important role in the first Advent story. In fact, their story takes up a large part of this chapter, Luke chapter 1. And the promises of Advent that are being proclaimed begin not in Bethlehem, but they begin right here with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. So Luke sets the scene for us, starting in verse 5 of our text. Before this, though, we know that for some 400 years... God had not been speaking to his people like he had done in the past. For 400 years, the people of Israel had had no prophets. God, there's no record of God speaking to his people in the traditional ways that he did up and through the book of Malachi. And so you get this idea that there is this expectancy, but also there's sort of this depressed atmosphere among the people. Why has God been silent for so long? Why does it seem like he's ignoring us? Why does he seem like he's not present? And so when we come to this moment in Luke chapter 1, when God speaks again, it is a big deal. But Luke also tells us that this happened in the time of Herod, the king of Judea, which is a reminder that the people who were present in this story were also living in dark and evil days in their own time. We hear about Herod in these stories. We hear about Caesar Augustus and the Romans in these stories. God's people were living amidst great darkness and sin and evil, and they were being oppressed by the, the, the most powerful people in the world. But in those days, those dark days, 
Light was about to spring forth. Hope was about to spring eternal. And it all began here with the story of Zechariah. When God started speaking again, he spoke to an older priest from the order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was just as much a part of this story as he was. Now we're going to talk more about Elizabeth, who was also a descendant of Aaron, next week. But today as we think about Zechariah, Luke tells us that both of them, both of them were faithful to God in worship and in life. When they sinned against God, they followed the paths of forgiveness to make things right and to be purified so that they would be without blame. Once again, that's what Luke tells us. These were good people from good families who were doing their very best to live faithful lives before the Lord. But Luke also tells us, as we read about many in Scripture, that even though Elizabeth was as faithful as she was, she was not able to conceive. And both of them were advanced in years. They were very old. And what you may not notice there, but, but, but it's clear if you read it in the original language, what Luke actually does in that verse, in verse 7, he quotes Genesis 18.11. He says word for word what Genesis 18 says about Abraham and Sarah. So to the Hebrew mind, hearing this language, there should be some thought. Oh, okay, they're in a tough situation but I bet this story is going to have a surprise ending. I bet this story is going somewhere good because look what we just heard. It sounds just like Abraham and Sarah. Now, as we'll see here in a few minutes, apparently Zechariah didn't get the memo because he didn't fully understand what was happening, at least in the moment. But the symbol, the signal here of this language is something incredible something wonderful is about to happen and it happens on the day that Zechariah goes to the temple in Jerusalem to fulfill his priestly duty now to, to understand how just how significant this is it's helpful to understand just a little bit more about how this whole priesthood thing functioned and worked so it would be regular a normal thing for Zechariah he was of the order of Abijah the order of Abijah was around 300 priests so it would be not a rare thing for Zechariah to go to the temple and, and to, to do his duties there. So he might be facilitating worship or liturgy or, or lighting the candles or helping the people with their confession. It would not be uncommon for Zechariah to go to the temple, but he wasn't there every day. There were 300 priests in his order alone. There were 24 orders of the priests. So I'll save you having to do the math. There were 7,200 priests. There were a lot of priests who served in the temple on a regular basis. And Luke tells us here, this was their custom, that lots were cast to see which priest will go into the Holy of Holies on this day. Which priest will be the one who actually gets to go behind the curtain, because that's where the altar of incense is, to light the incense on behalf of the people. And because there were 7,200 priests... You didn't serve on a daily basis. Lots were, lots were cast for you to get this honor. It was common for priests to serve their entire lives, and the lot never falls to them. They never get this opportunity. As one scholar said, Zechariah, the righteous, aging priest, had probably been waiting for the lot to fall to him just as long as he had been waiting for a child. This could be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And it's very possible that Zechariah had gone his whole life as a priest and not had this opportunity or had it almost never. So it's not a coincidence then on this day 
with the minimal odds as they were, that Zachariah's lot came up. That he was the one that got to go into the most holy place. That he was the one that got to go and stand before the altar of incense. But what happened on this day was more than just the once-in-a-lifetime honor of entering that space. To enter that space was an indescribable honor to be sure, but to receive a vision from God while inside that space, that would put a person in the ranks of the most iconic names in all of Scripture. But that's what happened. Zechariah, not only did his lot come up, not only did he get this opportunity, but an angel of the Lord appeared, the hope of God's promise being realized, and in that moment, not only did, did Zechariah receive a vision, but he received a vision pointing to the most important promise. The most important reason that, that we today can say we have hope, even in the midst of our own dark and evil days, because the promise came to Zechariah, your son is going to prepare the way for the one who really matters. And the one who really matters is the only one who can bring life where there is death. The only one who can bring light where there is darkness. The only one who can truly bring hope where there is despair. And this announcement comes to Zechariah the priest in God's holy temple in Jerusalem long before Jesus was even born. So Zechariah is in the temple. He receives this vision as an angel who we're later told is Gabriel appeared standing at the right side of the altar of incense so picture where Zechariah is he's behind the curtain in front of him are, are the table with the showbread that symbolize God's presence the horned golden altar of incense is there the golden candlestick is there and right next to the altar the angel appears and Gabriel begins making his proclamations he begins by saying in there in, in verse 11 or verse 13, what angels always say when they appear to people, it seems to be the consistent refrain. He says, do not be afraid. I guess that, that is a command that's easier to say but harder to live out. Do not be afraid, an angel has appeared. But do not be afraid, Zechariah, Gabriel says, because your prayer has been heard. The actual word here is answered. Your prayer has been answered, Zechariah. Don't be afraid. What's about to happen is huge. It's a big deal, but it's good. It is good news because this, these years and years of praying that you and your wife have spent together and these, these years and years of waiting for, for God himself to speak to his people again, your prayers have been heard. Your prayers have been answered. You are going to experience something new. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to name him John. And, and look at these proclamations that begin in verse 14. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. We are among those many here today who rejoice because of the birth, the life, the ministry of John the Baptist. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, he is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And by the way, the word for fermented drink is actually the word for beer. And this is the only time in the Bible this word comes up. So Gabriel specifically says he will not drink wine or beer, but instead he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born, which is a moment we'll see next week when we look at Elizabeth. 
He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He's going to be a prophet like Elijah to turn the hearts of their parents to their children. To remind God's people that the faith they hold is supposed to be a legacy faith. That the commands God gave from the beginning was that they would take these words that God gave to them and pass them on to their children and to their children's children and to their great-grandchildren and on down the line that they would be families of faith with a legacy of faith. And Gabriel says to Zechariah, through your son's ministry and through what's coming in the, the next few days, God's going to remind his people of their legacy of faith. And he's going to turn the hearts of the disobedient back to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The announcement was the promise of God speaking to his people again through John, John the Baptist. As we read in Isaiah earlier in worship, John the Baptist would be the voice crying out, calling out in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord. Surely the word of God will endure forever. And John, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, who had been unable to conceive, were up in their years, now will be the one who's, who has that role, that job of preparing the way. Let me say to you, my brother and sister in Christ, we've been given the same call and commission of John the Baptist. It's a little bit different, a little bit different time a little bit less prominent, but we've been given the same call that John the Baptist was given because what did he do? John the Baptist didn't just stay around the temple all day. He went out among the people and he did exactly what God called him to do. He prepared the way of the Lord. In every place that God took John's feet, whether he was in the villages or the towns or the wilderness or the city, wherever John went, John said to the people, look not at me, but look at the one who comes after me. He is the Lord. And he proclaimed the coming of the Messiah and the good news of God's salvation in Jesus Christ to anyone who had ears to hear wherever he went. And you and I, as followers of Jesus today, we, we have that same commission not just to say to people, come and see when you come to church, but as we go to do what God has called us to do, to prepare the way of the Lord and to proclaim to anyone who has ears to hear that hope is alive, that hope springs eternal in Jesus Christ. For those who are dead in their sins and trespasses, they can be awakened. They can experience life. To those who have strayed away from the Lord, they'll be welcomed back through Jesus Christ. And this hope is possible only in and because of and through our Lord Jesus. And Zechariah, as a priest of God, had the opportunity to hear this good news first, that, it, that his family was going to be involved, that they got to go tell others the good news. But as you know, Zechariah as learned as he was, still had some lessons he needed to learn. And the rest of the story, not the most important part of the story, but perhaps the most memorable part of the story, is what happens next. As Luke tells us in the next verse, after what we read in Luke 1, after hearing this proclamation, his lot came up, 
He's in the most holy place. An angel appears. He has this vision from God. He gets this incredible, incredible word of revelation. And the next question out of his mouth is, how can I be sure of this? I don't know how you feel, but it feels like Zechariah really blew it here. He messed up his opportunity. How can I be sure of this? Well, besides the fact that an angel told him and that he was in the place that he was in and all of this happened in such a miraculous way, what he should have remembered was those words we read just a moment ago. Zechariah, your prayer has been answered. That's how you should be sure. God himself is telling you in this moment, in this place, through this divine messenger, your prayer has been answered. The angel said to him, as he asked this question, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Zechariah is quoting the story of Abraham and Sarah, just like Luke did. But apparently he forgot the ending. He forgot where things ended up. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. But because you blew it, I'm reading that into the text, but because, because, Zechariah, you responded this way, you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words. You didn't believe that your prayers had been answered. My words, which will come true at their appointed time. I don't know if it feels like this punishment is excessive, but the way I like to look at it is this, this isn't just punishment, it's a reminder that God's good news is to be received with joy. And it happens throughout the rest of the Advent story. The shepherds, the wise men, everybody else receives this good news with joy. Even when Zechariah walks outside, his friends and family are like, something amazing must have happened. Why did he take so long? Is he dead? What's going on? And he comes outside and they realize he's seen a vision and they celebrate. But for whatever reason, Zechariah, maybe it's Maybe it's a little window into his personality. He was just a little slow on the uptake on this particular day. But they realized that something amazing had happened. And I wonder, what was life like for Zechariah during those next nine months? During those quiet days? How much did Zechariah learn from God? How much did he learn about, about God and the way God works when he had no choice but to listen and to observe? It's been a few years since I shared with you some art of Advent. I don't know why I don't do this every year, because it's one of my favorite things. But I love this little piece from a church just outside of London. This is actually like our glass here in the room. It's stained and painted glass. And it's a depiction of Zachariah naming his son John, painted by an unknown artist back in 1949. Now, you may look at that and be like, I can't see that. Well, guess what? I'll zoom in for you just a little bit. You sort of get the picture here as you get a little bit closer. There's Zechariah in the foreground. And what's happening, what he's doing here, is, is we read later on in Luke 1, he is writing down John's name. And it's at that moment that his mouth is opened and he gets to speak again. And what I like about this image is you, I, I sort of think we get a picture of what life was probably like for Zechariah. It was probably a little bit awkward to try to talk to Zechariah since he couldn't speak and he had to make signs and he could write things down but not everybody could read. And so you sort of get the impression from this piece that Zechariah is sort of off from the rest of the crowd. Everybody else is sort of standing around and talking and going about life as usual. But Zechariah has been in his own space for a few months. And in this moment... 
when he gets his second chance, he doesn't blow it. When the time comes for him to be obedient and to do what the angel told him to do, to name your son John, Zechariah does it. Luke tells us he writes the name John. And at that moment, his mouth was opened. Zechariah is a reminder that God is a God of second chances. He's a reminder of God's mercy, God's grace. But listen, his restoration also. He got another chance. He got called back into the game in this Advent story. And in that moment, Zechariah did not miss his opportunity. In fact, the first words that came out of his mouth we call the Benedictus, one of three songs that we we see in the Advent story. And and Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit filled Zechariah in this moment after he wrote his son's name, and what came out were words of prophecy and words of worship. So as we close this morning, would you hear these words of the benedictus the first words i'm just going to read and then the last part will be on the screen the words that god gave to zachariah when his mouth was opened again luke 1 starting in verse 67 his father zachariah was filled with the holy spirit and prophesied praise be to the lord the god of israel because he has come to his people and redeemed them He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies And to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, as he starts to talk about John, you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. These were the words that God gave to Zechariah after his his long wait. And I want you to consider with me for a moment that, that what happened in the temple that day was one of the last major events that ever happened in the temple that's recorded in Scripture. It's one of the last times that in any way we see God speaking to his people there because something new was happening. God was moving, shifting things into a new phase where people didn't have to come to the temple and always say, God is present here. That people like John the Baptist went out and then Jesus went out and then the apostles went out and the other first Christians, men and women, went out and they went to the places that God took them and rather than saying God's back in Jerusalem in the temple, they said to them, the good news of Jesus Christ is here now where we are. His presence is everywhere. And it became less about the temple And it became more about this good news, this proclamation, this message of the gospel that you and I, brother and sister in Christ, have been commissioned out with the same command, the same call to go into the places wherever God takes our feet and to share with those who are there that the good news is here and hope springs eternal and Jesus Christ is alive. Whether our feet take us across the world or across the street, 
whether in our neighborhoods or our workplaces, whether in our homes or in our schools, wherever God takes us, we proclaim the good news of salvation and the forgiveness of sins through the tender mercy of God that we've experienced. Our call is to prepare the way for Christ's coming again. We give thanks for the first advent that Jesus Christ has already come into the world to bring us salvation. But there is a second advent yet to come, right? Jesus Christ is coming back. May we be faithful as his followers to proclaim in every place that God sends us the good news of Jesus Christ who is the light of the world, the rising sun who came to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. Would you pray with me? And I know, friends, that we've strayed a little bit past the noon hour, but that's okay. This last moment that we have is our one last opportunity in this time together to worship, to sing, and to surrender ourselves to God's leading. Would you be willing to open your heart, surrender to him today, whatever he's saying to you? Maybe you're a person today who would say, I, I feel like I'm drowning in darkness. I feel like I'm, I'm not walking faithfully as God would have me to walk. Maybe today you feel like you're in the shadow of death. Would you hear the good news again that your soul, your heart, your life can be awakened because of the good news of Jesus Christ? That forgiveness of sins is available because of what Jesus has done. That he can guide us in walking in the path of peace, peace with God that only he can give. Or maybe today you just know that that, that call is on your life to be faithful, to prepare the way and to proclaim the good news in the places that God takes you, takes your feet, takes your life. Surrender your all to him today. Lord Jesus, we give you this time for your glory, for your name. We pray that you would speak to every heart. Lord, us, Lord, let us not be in a hurry. Let us not be distracted. But let us focus our minds and our hearts on you. In Jesus' name, amen.